Welcome to Beacon Baptist Church of Lexington, South Carolina. We trust today's podcast will be a blessing to you. I'm not going to take the time that I did this morning in giving a review, although we do understand that when we come to this passage of Scripture, we are, again, as we mentioned this morning, coming to a passage that is quite well known for being the premier passage in the Word of God that describes the event on the next great event on God's prophetic timetable, the rapture of the church. Rev. Uh, 1 Thessalonians 4, 13 through 18 gives us an insight into this mystery of the church that is mentioned in 1 Corinthians chapter number 15 and reveals for us details concerning the rapture of the church. One of which is a detail that we have tried to uh, kind of base our perspective and our vantage point on for uh, this series of messages and that's verse number 18 where the Bible says, Wherefore comfort one another with these words. And where we've been looking at the last several times we've been uh, in this passage is the idea we've dealt with several other things. Um, amen. Uh, most, most, most of our sermons nowadays we put online and we uh, put out there for people to get a hold of for free. I would say uh, what a preacher I heard one time say, he'd say, buy the tape, I need the money. Amen. Uh, but if you need to look back on some of those other things, you'll have to do that uh, by the free of the uh, the free availability that we have for uh, being able to view those on social media and, and audio and other things. Uh, but tonight I want us to continue on with this idea of the placement of the rapture. Uh, how we have can find comfort. The rapture, verse 18, tells us is the Christian's comfort. Wherefore, comfort one another with these words. These words about the rapture, the description of the rapture, the event that it is, and the details thereof are supposed to be comforting uh, to the children of God. And so well, we've mentioned several things, but we uh, picked up we, we picked up tonight talking about the placement of the rapture. And uh, we talked about how uh, the rapture of the church must be a pre-tribulational rapture, that the day of Christ is not at hand, but the day of the Lord's return is at hand, and how the falling away and the, re- the revelation of the Antichrist and things that 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 1 through 4 talks about proves that there must be a pre-tree of rapture, not mid-tree of, not post-tree of, not a preterist belief on the rapture of the church, but it must be a pre-tribulational uh, uh, event. Amen. Now go with me tonight as I want to just give you a couple of more verses on this. These won't take nearly the time that this morning's did. Uh, that one took me essentially two messages to get to. But let's look at Revelation chapter number 3 tonight. Revelation chapter number 3, this one is uh, very well known. Perhaps most of you have been waiting on us uh, to, I know Brother Tommy has, he's talking to me about it, uh, but some of you have probably been waiting for us to get to this uh, passage of Scripture uh, concerning a pre-tribulational rapture. And uh, I, I'll say this as well, the verse that we are about to read here in Revelation chapter 3, I believe that it again undergirds everything that I preached to you this morning and lets us know that everything that 
that I said this morning is just what God intended when he penned the scriptures. Amen. But Revelation chapter number 3, of course, when you come to Revelation chapter number 3, and in particular these verses, uh, starting in verse number 7, uh, is, uh, is the address from God to the church of Asia Minor, Asia Minor, known as the church in Philadelphia. I'm not preaching on the seven churches of Asia Minor tonight. This is right before the church of Revelation. The church of Philadelphia is the only church that no, that no bad thing is said about and only good things are said about. This is the kind of church that a church would want to be. Amen. And uh, so, and then in comparison with uh, the church of Laodicea, it stands out in a great way as a church that we should want to be like. Amen. I do believe that when you come to Revelation chapter number 3, these churches are meant to be viewed in several ways. I do believe we ought to view them in their context as actual churches that, ex that, that physically existed and were that were real churches of the Apostle John's day. These were real churches that had real pastors and real congregations in the area that is named. I do believe each of these real churches received a message from God. I personally believe when it talks about the angel of the church, I believe it's a, that is an address to the official messenger of the church. I personally believe it is a message that was given to the church from God through the pastor of the church. And uh, But anyway, I believe you can view them as actual churches. I believe we can see uh, the details of these passages uh, as, uh, as uh, descriptions of church history. Uh, I believe that when we think about the church at Philadelphia, church history, we can think about the days of the, of the church about 200 or 300 years ago, uh, areas of great revival and great moves of God where God really did open up great doors for evangelism. This Philadelphian church is known as the church of the open door because he, the Bible says that God would open for them in verse number 7 uh, that, 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 that God would open for them doors that no one could shut and that he would shut doors that no man could open. Verse 8 said he had set uh, before them an open door. I believe that open door speaks of an open door of evangelism. Amen. Uh, to where God has just made great ways for them to reach out. And then I believe we can also see these seven churches of Asia, Asia Minor in the perspective of the kind of churches that exist in the world. Uh, I think every church should aspire to be a Philadelphian church and not a Laodicean church. Amen. A, a lukewarm church, not a Sardis church, a dead church, not an Ephesians church, a church that had lost their first love, and so on and so forth. But here to this church at Philadelphia, uh, verse number 10 uh, mentions something that is uh, pretty interesting in our study of Bible prophecy. He tells these believers, because thou hast kept the word of my patience, he says, I will also keep thee from the hour of temptation which shall come upon all the world to try them that dwell upon the earth. Amen. So to these believers who God has given open doors to, to these believers who God is commending in such a personal way for their faithfulness to Him, He reminds these Christians that they will want 
day be rewarded with the fact that He is a God that keeps them from the hour of temptation. And then what is what uh, is this hour of temptation? He says, which shall come upon all the world to try them that dwell upon the earth. I believe when we look at verse number 10, we do find within uh, the prophetic words given to this church another reason why every Christian that believes the Bible should be a pre-tribulation rapture uh, believer. Amen. Because God says here to believers that He will keep them. That He will uh, cause them to not be a part of the hour of temptation. The word kept there means for that He is guarding them. He is protecting them. He is surrounding them and enclosing them away from an hour of temptation. Amen. Do you remember what we saw earlier this morning in 2 Thessalonians where uh, Paul talked, to, he told them that he was beseeching them by our gathering together unto the Lord. Amen. Our gathering together unto him in that moment of the rapture where he brings us where he is. Amen. We shall, uh, amen, we shall be with the Lord forever according to 1 Thessalonians chapter number 4. I believe we see that where the Bible says he's keeping us. He's drawing us close. He's bringing us to himself. And he's doing that in order to keep us from an hour of temptation, an hour of trying, an hour of, uh, of God's wrath and God's punishment and God's testing on the world. Amen. And notice this. Well, again, I don't have time to, uh, to preach all of this, but uh, just for the sake of time, notice tonight what he says when he says that, that I will keep thee from the hour of temptation. So there is a... <coughs> a period of time that God has chosen to be a time of temptation, but notice who it's a time of temptation for. That shall come upon all the world. So God is saying that there is going to be a period of time that will put to test what the world has. We've already talked about uh, the patience and and, and all of that in Luke chapter number 8. I don't know if you remember those verses from this morning, but there's very similar wording here as was found in Luke chapter number 8 uh, with that parable of the sower. <coughs> Think about this this morning. Look at Luke chapter number 8. Hold your place there. Look at Luke chapter number 8 again. At Luke chapter 8 verse number 11. I'm going to read. You catch up when you get there. Luke chapter 8 verse 11. Now the parable is this. The seed is the word of God. Those by the wayside are they that hear. Then cometh the devil and take the word out of their hearts lest they should believe and be saved. Verse 13. They on the rock are they which when they hear receive the word. Notice this. With joy. And these have no root, which for a while believe, and in time of temptation fall away. Look at verse 14. And that which fail among thorns are they which when they have heard go forth and are choked with the cares and riches and pleasures of this life and bring uh, no fruit to perfection. Now look at verse 15. 
So I believe we would all say up to this point that we do not want to be people that receive God's Word in any of the ways that has already been described in this passage. Having the devil come and take it out of our heart and not taking root. All of those things that's just read here. But notice about those that received the seed on good ground. Those that as Jesus said, the seed is the Word of God. Receive the Word of God the way they were supposed to. Verse 15 Jesus said, but that on the good ground are they which in an honest and good heart having heard the Word notice this, keep it and bring forth fruit with what's the word he uses there? Patience. Now go to Revelation 3.10. Because thou hast kept, does that word remind us of Luke chapter number 8? He said, on the good ground are they which in an honest and good heart having heard the word, keep it. Do you see the comparison there? Now in Revelation 3.10, he says, that have kept the word of my patience. Patience mentioned Luke chapter number 8, and bring forth fruit with patience. Do you think the Lord's trying to draw scriptural comparisons here? Do you think He's trying to let us know these verses go hand in hand? Do you think He's trying to give us insight onto which scriptures to compare scripture with, to give us an understanding of what He is trying to teach us, amen, in the context? He says here, amen, that uh, because of the Revelation 3.10, because thou hast kept the word of my patience. In other words, you heard the word and you you kept it. You heard the word and you received it. Y'all look at me for just a moment tonight. I want y'all to see this. You heard the word of God and you kept it. And you accepted it. And you regarded it as true. And you accepted it into your heart. When the Bible talked about how to be saved, you heard that gospel and you kept it and it became part of you. Here he says in Revelation 3, to all of those that have heard the word of the truth that you may believe and be saved by, that's Luke chapter number 8, all of those of you who have kept that word, he said, I'm, you've kept my word, you've trusted my word, and because you did some keeping, I'm going to do some keeping. Because you've kept my word, because you accepted it, I'm going to keep you from the hour of temptation. And he said it'd be an hour of temptation that shall come upon all the world. Can I submit to you, there is only one period of time in history past all all the way to eternity future where that kind of event will take place that could be described as a hour or a period of time of temptation that shall come upon the entire world all at one time. It is known as the tribulation period. He tells believers, Christians, because you kept my word, because you received the word, it's that you may be saved and yet uh, you believed it. He said, because you did that, I'm going to keep you from the hour of temptation which shall come upon all the world. Now let me ask you this. <clears throat> God's promised to keep us from a period of time. How do you get kept from a period of time that shall come upon the entire world. Right. If you're in this world and it becomes upon the whole world, Brother Lewis, I'm not a brilliant man. 
But if I live in this world, and He's keeping me from a period of time that shall come upon all the world, there's only two, only two ways that that can be true in my life. Number one, I must be removed from the world that the hour of temptation is in. And number two, it also implies if He's keeping me from a period of time, He must remove me to a place where there is no time. Does that not make sense? Yeah. Hour of temptation, period of time, that shall come upon all the world. If He's going to save me as a believer from it, He has got to remove me from time, and He's got to remove me from the world. There's only one way that that takes place according to the Scriptures. I have to be removed from this world and taken to heaven, the only place in this universe where there is no time is in the, where God dwells in the third heaven, where we'll go when we uh, die in faith or whether we're raptured out. The only way that that will ever happen is for God to remove me from this world by His sovereign power and take me to where He is, where He is outside of time. For that to happen, He says, I'm going to keep you from the hour of temptation. That means if that hour of temptation is a tribulation period, for Him to keep me from that hour, for Him to remove me from time and from the world, it has to take place before that hour of temptation enters in onto the scene of the world. You know what that teaches? A pre-trib rapture. We must be raptured out prior to the tribulation period. Now go with me to Revelation chapter 4. Shouldn't be hard to find if you're already in Revelation 3. <coughs> Revelation chapter number 4. She said, and again, I'm going to just simply state some things and move on. The book of the Revelation, according to Revelation chapter number 1, Revelation chapter number 1 and verse number 19, it can be divided into three categories. I've heard people say that they have difficulty outlining the book of Revelation. I don't because God gave us the, the uh, outline of the book of Revelation. God gives us a three-point outline dividing the book of Revelation. In ver, uh, Revelation 1.19, He said, Write the things which thou hast seen. That's the first category of the book of Revelation. That's Revelation chapters number 1. Amen. Then He says this, uh, he said, the things which thou hast seen. Then, number two, the things which are. That's Revelation 2 and 3. And then he says, and the things which shall be hereafter. The book of Revelation is divided into the things which thou hast seen. That's number one. The things that are currently at the time of this writing and the things which shall be hereafter. Revelation chapter number four begins the period of the book of Revelation of the things that shall be hereafter. The Revelation 2 and 3, although there are prophetical teachings in those, uh, the, it falls under the category of the things which are because they were existing churches in John's day that were given a revelation from God in those moments in around A.D. 96. The things which shall be hereafter begins in Revelation chapter number 4. And verse number 1, it's very easy to know when he says the things which shall be hereafter, chapter 4 begins with after. Amen. Just notice that just now. Amen. After this I looked, and behold, a door was opened in heaven. And the first voice which I heard was, as it were, of a trumpet speaking with me. Again, does that not sound like rapture language? There's a door open. 
there's a door of escape. There is, a, there is an entryway from this world somewhere else. And then he talks about the voice being as of a trumpet. That's, that's 1 Thessalonians chapter number 4. Amen. The verses we began with tonight. Amen. He says there was uh, the first voice that I, which I heard was as it were of a trumpet uh, talking with me which said come up hither and I will show thee things which must be hereafter. And from that moment on we find things that must be hereafter. I don't think anyone here tonight would disagree with the fact that I believe here in Revelation chapter number 4 and in verse number 1, we find an, an allusion to the rapture of the church. The trumpet points us to the rapture. The come up hither and our removal from the earth goes right along with the description of the rapture of the church. We're at 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, 1 Corinthians chapter 15, where the Bible says that we will lose our gravitation in this world. We will go be with the Lord. We will meet Him in the clouds. That means we must be vertical. Amen. He said, come up. That's a vertical direction. Come up hither. It is going to where He is. Amen. Amen. And so here we find, I believe, God gave us this verse so we would know in which period of church history, in what period of, of moment uh, Christ intended for us to understand the rapture to take place. I believe right now, prophetically speaking, you and I are living somewhere within the middle part of the church of Laodicea. I believe we're living in the tail end of chapter number three, and we are waiting for the moment where we will hear come up hither. We are waiting for the moment to where we will be raptured out of here and taken out of this world and be removed from the hour of temptation that after this is described as coming upon the whole world. Amen. When you come to the book of Revelation shortly after this chapter 4 you begin to see the stages of the tribulation period being detailed and unfolded and I believe that God meant what he said when he said what he did and he placed it in scripture exactly where he wanted us to understand on God's timeline uh, that uh, these events would take place. Things that thou hast seen, the things that are, and the things that shall be hereafter. Amen. I believe that with all of my heart tonight. Amen. So we say that the Bible proclaims the truth that, uh, that you and I are to believe in a pre-tribulational rapture. Now go with me tonight please uh, to the, the gospel of Matthew tonight. Matthew chapter number 24. <clears throat> Matthew chapter number 24. Not only do we, do we stay, say that the Bible proclaims a pre-trib rapture to you and I, but I believe the Bible pictures a pre-trib rapture to you and I. <clears throat> Matthew chapter number 24, hold your place there. Matthew 24, 36. And then I want you to go with me to uh, Luke chapter number 17. Matthew 24 in one hand and Luke 17 in the other hand. <clears throat> I hope you've done plenty of sword drills in your life. Amen. Because I'm, get, I'm getting you good practice tonight. Amen. Matthew 24. Verse 36, Luke 17, and verse number 26. There are two characters mentioned in these two New Testament passages that are described specifically as being pictures of the rapture. 
I will submit to you tonight that there are three great pictures of the New Testament truth of the rapture of the church uh, that we see in three Old Testament characters. In Matthew 24 and Luke 17, it is expressly mentioned two of them by name. Look at Matthew 24 and verse number 36. Matthew 24, verse number 36. The Bible says, But of that day and hour knoweth no man, no, not the angels of heaven, but my Father only. That day, Jesus doesn't even know when he's returning. Only the Father knows, and the Father will be the one that sends him. Look at verse 37. But as the days of Noe were, this of course, and I know this is self-explanatory, but just in case you were wondering, Noe is a Greek form of the name of the Hebrew name Noah. But as the days of Noe were, so shall also the coming of the Son of Man be. For as in the days that were before the flood, they were eating and drinking, marrying and giving in marriage until the day that Noe entered into the ark. And knew not until the flood came and took them all away, <clears throat> so shall also the coming of the Son of Man be. There shall be two... Uh, there, there shall two be in the field, and the one shall be taken, and the other left. That sounds like a rapture to me. Two women shall be grinding at the mill. The one shall be taken, and the other left. Watch ye therefore, for ye know not what hour your Lord doth come. But know this, that if the good man of the house had known in what watch the thief would come, he would have watched, and would not have suffered his house to be broken up. Therefore be ye also ready, for in such an hour as ye think not, the Son of Man cometh. So in Matthew 24, the days of Noah are described to be comparable uh, to the time of the Lord's coming. Is that not what the Bible teaches there? Now look at Luke 17. Luke 17, there are two individuals mentioned by name, verse number 26. Luke 17, verse 26. The Bible says, and as it was in the days of Noah, again, mentions Noah here by name, so shall it be also in the days of the Son of Man. <clears throat> they did eat, they drank, they married wives, they were given in marriage until the day that Noah entered into the ark, and the flood came and destroyed them all. Likewise, also as it was in the days of Lot, there's another Old Testament man mentioned here by name. Not only the days of Noah, but the days of Lot. Here the Bible says they did eat, they drank, they bought, they sold, they planted, they built it. But the same day that Lot went out of Sodom, it rained fire and brimstone from heaven and destroyed them all. Even thus shall it be in the day when the Son of Man is revealed. In that day. And then it goes on uh, to mention some other uh, verses there. And then verse 34 uh, giving the same uh, idea of Matthew 24 about one, uh, about two being in one bed, one taking the other left, two women grinding together, one shall be taken, the other left, two men shall be in the field, one shall be taken, and the other left. Amen. So we do see here these names mentioned. They give us a good indicator here in these verses that if we were to go back to their story, the, to the account of their lives in the Old Testament, that there would be some very prophetical lessons and observations to be learned and to be made from the story of their life. Go with me to Genesis chapter number 5. <coughs> Genesis chapter number 5. <coughs> First book of your Bible, just a few pages to the left, turn to the left. Genesis chapter number 5. I'll submit to you tonight as well 
that I believe that Genesis 5 gives us another Old Testament character that greatly pictures the New Testament, uh, the New Testament doctrine of the rapture of the church, and not only uh, not only pictures it, but pictures it as a pre-tribulational event. Genesis chapter number five. Of course, this chapter in the Scripture is known for its genealogy. Uh, we find here a genealogy that connects us all the way back to Adam. But in verse number and in verse number twenty, we'll begin reading here. It is a very interesting man mentioned uh, that I'm sure most of you are familiar with. I've preached uh, a Sunday here on this particular passage and on this particular character. But look at verse twenty. The Bible says, "In all the days of Jared were nine hundred sixty and two years, and he died." And notice this here. His son is mentioned. Verse eighteen says that Jared begat Enoch. Notice what verse twenty-one says about Enoch. Enoch lived sixty and five years and begat Methuselah. Now that's a that's a late time in life to be having children today. But um, according to the Bible, Noah or Enoch rather was a fairly young man when he had Methuselah. Here we find Enoch living before his son Methuselah is born. Verse twenty-two. The Bible. Bible mentions this, and it elevates Enoch from this genealogy in the sense that the Bible says, and Enoch walked with God after he begat Methuselah 300 years and begat sons and daughters. And all the days of Enoch were 360 and five years, and Enoch walked with God and was not, for God took him. Here we find the man by the name of Enoch who lived a life, and the genealogy keeps us within the context of his uh, of his generations of his uh, begetting a son, begetting a son uh, by the name of Methuselah. Here we find something else other than his uh, prodigy being mentioned, but we find the fact that Enoch was a man that walked with God, and the fact that he walked with God is given to us as a reason for the, 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 the testimony of verse 24 that it is not attached to Enoch. What was attached to the rest of those that are in this genealogy and that is the phrase, and he died. You will not find that mention concerning Enoch at all, but in the place of where the Bible should say, or if we would look at it in terms of everyone else, where it would be a place to say, and he died, it does not say that, but it simply says he was not. In other words, anywhere you would have looked for Enoch, he wasn't there. If you look for him in his home, he wasn't there. If you look for him in the field that he no doubt was probably working as a man in this day and in this time, they uh, did a lot of their labor, they did all their labor themselves, amen, he wouldn't be in the field. You look for him anywhere, you will not find him there. He was not, amen. I've heard one preacher say one time, I believe it was Brother Bob McCurry, pastors in Beulah Dean, North Carolina, he made this statement, he said, God, or rather he said, America has her astronauts, Russia has her cosmonauts, and God has his was-nots. Amen. He entered into this was-not crowd. He was just not able to be found in this world and did not any longer exist in this world. Not that he didn't exist, but did not exist in this world anymore because God took him.
This action of God taking him is comparable to a rapture. All, the ra all we use that word rapture for, it's our vernacular term for the time where God is going to take his church by his own volition and will, and he's going to put us, as far as the world's concerned, and make us a bunch of was-nots, just like he did for Enoch. There will, there, there is a day right now, if somebody looks for me, looks for you, they look hard enough, they'll find us. But on, if you're a saved child of God, you can look the world over for a saved child of God, and they will not be able to be found, because God will be taking them. Enoch here is a picture of the rapture of the church, amen, us being removed by uh, the volition and will of God, and placed in, a, in, a, in an area, in arena to where we will not be any longer in this world. I will also say this, that Enoch is a picture of the rapture in the fact that he has translated prior to God's judgment falling on the world. You say, preacher, where do you see that? The very next chapter. Genesis chapter number 6 is one of the best pictures, if I can use the word best in that way, it is a great picture of God's judgment. God had got fed up with the wickedness of the world and it repented God the scripture says that he had made man on the earth and so he sent judgment on this wicked world in the form of a flood and he destroyed and, and, he, uh, and he judged the entire world with a worldwide flood but before that flood came Enoch was translated Remember the Bible said, we just read it a minute ago, that God is going to keep us from the hour of temptation that shall come upon all the world. Amen. God's going to deliver us from his wrath. Amen. The wrath that's going to come upon all the world. Amen. Enoch is a picture of that. He's also a picture of a pre-trib rapture. Not only in the fact that he was not. Amen. Not only in the fact that he was translated prior to the judgment of God by a flood, but also in the fact that he was translated for the purpose that he would not see death. Hebrews chapter number 11 mentions him. And Hebrews chapter number 11, verse number 6 says this about Enoch when the Bible says this. The Bible says, uh, excuse me, verse number 5, by faith Enoch was translated, why? That he should not see death. And was not found because God had translated him. For before his translation, he had this testimony that he pleased God. Why did God translate Enoch? It was because he pleased God. It was because, amen, he wanted to uh, cause him to not see death. Now, is that not what the Bible says will happen for the child of God when the rapture takes place? Is that not what the Bible says about you and I that are alive and remain shall be called up together with the Lord? Amen. Are y'all seeing this tonight? Enoch's a picture of a pre-trib rapture. Amen. Now look at Genesis chapter number 6 tonight. Genesis chapter number 6. I would submit to you that Noah is a Old Testament picture of a pre-trib rapture.
We know the story of Noah. The Bible says, verse 1, it came to pass when, the, um, when men began to multiply on the face of the earth and daughters were born unto them that the sons of God saw the daughters of men uh, that they were fair and they took them wives of all which they chose. I'm not going to debate that verse. I have strong opinions on that verse and I don't have time to preach that tonight. Verse 3, and the, and the Lord said, My spirit shall not always strive with man for uh, he also is flesh yet his de uh, days uh, shall be a hundred and twenty years. There were giants in the earth in those days and also after that again I have thoughts on that. When the sons of God came in to the daughters of men they bare children to them. The same became mighty men which were of old men of renown. Verse number five. And God saw that the wickedness of man was great in the earth and that every imagination of the thoughts of his heart were only evil continually. And he repented the Lord that he had made man on the earth and it grieved him at his heart. And the Lord said I will destroy man whom I have created from the face of the earth both man and beast and creeping thing and the fowls of the air for it repenteth me that I have made them. Verse number 8. But despite all of that but there's a contrast here. Noah found grace in the eyes of the Lord. Amen. He found grace in the eyes of the Lord. Verse 9 tells us why. He was a just man, perfect in his generations and Noah walked with God. Amen. And the Bible begins to tell us the story of Noah that we all learned as children how God had uh, how God had ordained and, uh, for and had instructed Noah to build that ark of go for wood and for him and all of those that he preached to if they'd get in the ark that they would be saved from the flood that was going to judge the entire world. Noah here we find <coughs> in this passage God again as we just mentioned about Enoch we do find in this chapter God sending judgment and sending his wrath upon the entire world at one time. We find God protecting or keeping Noah and his family from the wrath that is being poured out in the flood. Noah, the just man. Noah, the man perfect in his generations. Noah, the man that walked with God. Noah that found grace in the eyes of the Lord. That was the one that was protected and kept from God's judgment. By the way, another sermon for another day, but all of those characteristics belong to you if you're a child of God. God makes us just in Christ who is truly the just one. God gives perfection to you and I, not in a physical sense, but in a spiritual sense through the only perfect man, the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. If we're saved by the grace of God, we have the ability and the invitation to walk with God and have a relationship with Him. Those of us that are saved, God, we have found, thank God, grace in the eyes of the Lord to where He would extend salvation to us in the first place and give us grace to live on every day of our life. Those things apply to every believer. Amen. Think about this. Look at Genesis chapter 7. If that's not enough to convince you that Noah is intended in Old Testament writ to be a picture of a pre-tree of rapture, think about this. Those that were in the ark, Noah and his family were protected providentially by God. And notice what chapter 7 verse 17 says about them. Wonder if you've ever seen this in, the, in your Bible reading before. The Bible said in the flood was 40 days upon the earth and the waters increased and bare, notice this direction, up the ark. Notice this phrase, and it was lift 
up above the earth. Do you think God's going to let us, is trying to let us in on something? Why did he have to say that if he says that it was lifted up, we all understand if there's water on the earth and it's enough to be a worldwide flood, to be God's judgment on the whole world and to kill all of those that weren't in the ark, we know it has to be tall enough to get that boat off the ground. But why did he add that he was lifted above the earth? Could it be because he's wanting to picture to us in Noah that there's a day coming to where you and I that bear the characteristics of Noah are going to be lifted up above the earth as well? And hey, we're going to be going a lot higher than Noah did. I believe we find here a picture of Noah being an Old Testament picture of a New Testament doctrine of a pre-trib rapture. Lastly, go to Genesis 18 tonight. I'm going to have to be done here. I've been preaching 43 minutes, and aren't you glad I know that? Genesis 18. Those, we, those most preachers only have a few jokes, so we use them often. Genesis 18, look at verse 23. Again, a familiar passage of Scripture. We've dealt with Enoch, and we've dealt with Noah. Who are we missing? We read him just a minute ago. Brother Cody said it right. We're missing Lot. Genesis 18 gives us the story of Lot. Notice what the Bible says here. We're going to do some reading tonight, and then we'll be done here. Genesis 18, verse 23 says, And Abraham drew near and said, Well, wilt thou also destroy the righteous with the wicked? That is a permeating question when it comes to anything God ever does in the Scriptures in an act of wrath. Will God destroy the righteous with the wicked? The testimony of the Scriptures, and in this passage is, God will not. Again, that verse alone, we have to believe in a pre-trib rapture. If God is not going to destroy the righteous or place His wrath on the righteous with the wicked, we've got to be removed out of here. When God sends it on the world, we've got to go above the earth. If, we, if, 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 if we're going to be saved, amen, from that flood of a tribulation period, if you want to put it that way, He's got to lift us above the earth. He's got to take us somewhere else. He's got to translate us. He's got to take us away. Amen. He's got to put us part of that was not crowd. Verse 24, Peradventure there be fifty righteous within the city. Wilt thou also destroy and not spare the place for fifty righteous that are therein? Verse 25, he said, That be far from thee to do after this manner, to slay the righteous with the wicked, and that the righteous should be as the wicked. That be far from thee shall not. Look at this now. Abraham say, asked this question of God. Shall not the judge of all the earth do right? In other words, Abraham is bold enough to let God know, if you destroy the righteous with the wicked, I don't see that anywhere in your character of being a just and righteous God. Verse 26, he goes down there, he asks about the 50. Verse 26, the Lord said, if I find in Sodom 50 righteous within the city, I will spare all the place for their sakes. Notice that. If there's even 50, I'll spare all the place. And y'all know the story. As he goes down, he goes all the way down. He goes all the way down in verse number 32 where he says, God says at the end of verse 32, I will not destroy it for ten's sake. 
And I, I don't know how you believe. I personally believe if Abraham would have kept on asking, God, I believe God would have kept on saying, I won't destroy it all the way down to one. Will you save it? Will you save it for one? I believe if God is the God that He is, He would have spared it for just one. I believe, and I know I've preached this before, but I believe that when Jesus said that we are the salt of the earth, I believe Jesus is also letting us know prophetically that we are that which preserves this world. I believe part of us being the salt of the earth is God letting us know that He will not send judgment until we're out of here. If God has made us righteous in Christ, at First John chapter two calls the righteous Jesus Christ the righteous. If we are made the righteousness of God in Him at salvation as the Scripture says happen, God in this passage is letting us know He will save the entire place. He will save and spare the whole world just for the sake of a few righteous. Amen. Now look with me at chapter number 19. Look at verse 14. Notice what the Bible says here. Lot is on his way out of Sodom. God is about to send judgment on Sodom. The Bible said, And Lot went out and spake unto his sons-in-laws, By the way, dads, there's a message here in being a faithful Christian, being a true Christian that others can see. Lot went out and spake unto his sons-in-laws, which married his daughter, and said, Up, get you out of this place, for the Lord will destroy the city. And the Bible said, He seemed as one that mocked unto his son-in-law. He said, God's sending judgment. They didn't believe His word enough to even get up out of town just in case God that he might be right. They said, they said, Lot, he wouldn't have a clue what God said if anybody does. And they believed him to be one that mocked. There's a great message in that man. Verse 15, And when the morning arose, then the angels hastened Lot, saying, Arise, take thy wife and thy two daughters which are here, uh, lest thou uh, be consumed in the iniquity of the city. And when he lingered, and while he lingered, the men laid hold upon him, and upon the hand of his wife, and upon the hand of his two daughters, the Lord being merciful unto him. And they brought him forth, and set him without the city. Does it seem like God? God is very particularly trying to make sure they get out. The Bible says this about Lot, that the Lord was being merciful unto him. By the way, dads, if God's merciful to you, guess who else got in on when God was blessing the dad? The wife and the children did as well. God was being merciful to Lot, so his wife had an opportunity to escape, and his children had an opportunity to escape because God was dealing with the figurehead of the family. The Bible says here that it is this, that God, when he knows the wrath is coming and Lot is lingering, he's just dilly-dallying around, God sent angels from heaven to hurry him up out of the city to make sure that he would not be there when the judgment fell. Again, God's going to make sure that the righteous are not going to suffer with the wicked. Go look what the Bible goes on to say. Verse 17, it came to pass, when they had brought them forth abroad, he said, Escape for thy life. Look not behind thee, neither stay thou in all the plains. Escape to the mountain. By the way, that's an elevated place. Lest thou be consumed. And Lot said unto them, O oh, not so, my Lord, behold now thy servant hath found grace in thy sight, and thou hast magnified thy mercy which thou hast showed unto me in saving my life. And I cannot escape to the mountain, lest some evil take me and I die. There's fear involved there. Verse 20, Behold now this city is near to flee to, and it is a little one. Oh, let me escape thither. Is it not a little one? And my soul shall live. And he said unto, and he said unto him, See, I have accepted thee concerning 
concerning this thing also, that I will not overthrow this city for the which thou hast spoken. Verse 22, he said, Haste thee, escape thither, for I cannot do anything till thou, uh, till thou uh, become thither. Therefore the name of the city shall be called Zoar. Then if you look at verse number 24, then, once he was out of that city, verse 23, when Lot entered into Zoar, then the Lord rained upon Sodom and upon Gomorrah brimstone and fire from the Lord out of heaven. Do you see here again? Notice what he says. If it's not plain enough, God says this in verse 22, I cannot do anything till thou become thither. It, God says, I can't pour out my wrath until you're gone. Not that I just will not. God says, I can not. You want a proof of a pre-trib rapture? Not just on the proclamations of the Bible, but the pictures of the Bible? I think God wanted us to see the rapture all the way in the book of Genesis. I believe God was weaving in this New Testament mystery all the way from the very beginning in the first group of men that are in the genealogy of the first man, Adam, all the way back to Enoch, who is just a few generations down from Adam. It was a mystery in the display of the world, but the doctrine of the rapture was not a mystery in the mind of God. I'm telling you, I am more pre-trib today than I've ever been. The Word of God proves to me that I believe what I believe, not because I was taught that by my pastor or I agreed with the statement of faith in my, of my home church just because I chose to do so. But I'm telling you tonight, I believe what I believe about the Word of God and the placement of the rapture, and I find great comfort in that. Amen. You think about these men, I bet you they were glad they didn't have to see God's wrath fall upon the earth. They were removed from it. I'm thankful I'm going to be removed from it. But I'm not telling you these things just because I, that we say we're pre-trib because Dr. Caldwell was or because other great men of the past were because that's where this church has stood historically. I believe we can be pre-trib rapture today because it's the Word of God. The Bible teaches it. And I want you to know that and be comforted by it. Amen. Every head bowed, every eye closed. I'm done preaching tonight. Thank you for making us part of your day. We would love to hear from you. Please find us on Facebook or at our website, bbclexington.com.